Hello, my name is Harry, and I'm a contributing editor here at Londonist. Welcome to our brand new podcast, Rabbit and Pork. No, this isn't a carnivore-focused culinary pod. Instead, we've taken that name from Cockney rhyming slang. Rabbit and Pork, talk. It's where we get the phrase to rabbit on about something. So that's what we're going to be doing here, rabbiting on about whatever London-based thing takes our fancy. Today's topic of discussion? Delays. I'll be chatting about the disheartening crossrail delay with trained fanatic Jeff Marshall. Then after that, I chat with Londonist Laura Reynolds about the one area of London that wasn't delayed, Stratford. So sit back and enjoy the ride. Now it's time to talk about the new railway project that's been the talk of the town in London for the past few years. The Elizabeth Line. Sorry, I mean Crossrail. The core tunnel section looks set to launch in December this year until TfL announced just three months beforehand that it was delayed until autumn 2019. Here to discuss that delay with me is author, videographer, <laughs> challenge master, and most importantly, yeah. Londonist train expert, Jeff Marshall. Loving it. Who wrote these titles? <laughs> Did, you, write, did yeah. you write those? Am I the middle segment of three? Are there like three segments on the podcast? No, you're segment number one. Number one. Nice to see you, by the way. Yeah, good to see you um, in train mode. You've been doing some tours today. I was at the abandoned lost tunnels of Euston I've, this morning. I've literally, so this morning, it's the afternoon, I've literally come about an hour ago. I was down in some dusty tunnels. First thing I did when I got to the Londonist offices emporium was wash my hands <laughs> to get the grime off. How how are you? You're looking dapper. He's not. Listen, he's looking terrible. He's looking, un- he's looking unshaven, dapper. unkempt. I am actually unshaven, and I am going to have a haircut Harry, in a couple of days. So Harry's got a face for radio. Yeah. Well, I always saw that as a compliment. Good. That's the uh, old joke. A face for a podcast. Yeah, that's a very 21st century version of that. I'm excited, man. Line. You brought the podcast back. Yeah, well, it wasn't just me, but thanks. Uh, but if I'll, I'm happy to take the credit. Rabbit and pork. <laughs> right, diving into things. Firstly, I, I left that line, I don't know if you noticed, that line in about the Elizabeth line, sorry, I'm in Crossrail, it's just fine. to try and like get at you. Did, made, did it work? I've made my piece, Yeah, almost. There's a Twitter meme going around saying, you know, the mountain of the most insignificant thing which you're prepared to die on. Mine is <laughs> never purely calling it. The Elizabeth line. Well, I have to be nice to TfL, otherwise they won't let me into their tunnels. So in their presence, I call it the Elizabeth line. And at home, I always call it Crossrail. And then in public, I go, I call it the Crossrail Elizabeth line. It just just say both words, and then it keeps all camps happy. What is your number one reason for disliking the name, the Elizabeth line? I know you have many, so if you could just whittle it down to one. It was the name that was given from 30, 40 years ago to the extent that signage was even put up within Tottenham Court Road Station. And uh, there's a great historical fact, the naming, the renaming of the Jubilee Line from the Fleet Line, which was it was originally called until, was it Edward Stanley? Some uh, a conservative peer said, oh, we should, we should rename the Jubilee Line, Jubilee, because the Queen's Jubilee. Uh, and it cost London Transport loads of money. So I wonder how much money it's costing TfL to change everything from the word Crossrail to... Elizabeth, because science had already been been put in place. It had an established... So my main reason is that it had an established name. Do you want to know something great about Fleet Line, um, the original name? Yes. It was 
Also, it's not the first time something was going to be named after the River Fleet and then it got canned. The borough of Camden, I think in the 60s when they created all the boroughs, that was one of the proposed names. That I did not know. Borough Fleet. But they decided against it because the fleet is basically a sewer. That's the... and, they, and they were <laughs> yeah. like, should we name something new and exciting after a sewer? It's that kind of fact, listener, that I tune into Rabbit and Pork for. Because you never know what nugget you're going to hear next. I love that. Yeah. Well, moving on from that, I wanted to ask you, what, what was your reaction when TFL <laughs> announced, when the announcement came out that... Uh, Crossrail, Elizabeth Line was so, delayed. So for weeks, I'd, even months, I'd been teasing them that I was like, what if it doesn't open on time? Yeah, because we chatted about this. And uh, my, my biggest, there was one, the press office in particular, I was like, now presumably you've set up the Queen, you know, Madge is going to come down herself and cut, cut the purple ribbon. I was like, what if, my joke was, what if she dies before happens? <laughs> and they gave me stern looks like, Jeff, shut up. And I was like, well, what if, what if Philip dies? He's more likely to go. What if it's his funeral on the day that she's meant to open your railway? One cannot make the opening of your railway. I'm burying my husband. I was like, and they, were, and they, give me, and they gave me death stares. And then I was like, what if it's just late generally and I got the biggest death stare ever? I was like, because you haven't booked her for December because you probably booked her for like the beginning of next year. So right now they've already had to like, someone's had to ring up back pal and go, yeah. You know we booked you for February, yeah. Well, can we make it February 2020 instead? So they've already had to put it back. So um, and when I'd make those jokes, like so many things, you realise that truth is spoken as you know many a true word said in jest. And then there was then chat of like, well, what if it is actually late? And my first indication was when they had all the open days, and there was a pl- there was an er- I had an early schedule from Crossrail PR of like Tottenham Court Road was having an open day and Bond Street was having an open day and Paddington was having an open day and I've still got the original document with all the dates in that the open days were scheduled to be. And as those dates got nearer, they then got postponed or cancelled and the open days weren't happening. And then the chat and the realisation was is that they didn't want to have the open days because they weren't ready to have the public in to have a look round and they probably needed more time to get it finished. That led to speculation that yeah. they were behind schedule and things weren't being finished. And then, um, with all things, it just got leaked amongst all the nerds about a week before it went public that there would indeed be an announcement that it was late. But did you notice very carefully that the announcement came from Crossrail, not TFL? So TFL are like, nothing to do with us, Gov. (laughs) I I did notice that. I I did also (laughs) notice other people online, I guess... When the announcement came out and then you were tweeting about it, you'd had a week yeah, yeah. Um, to yeah. kind of process. But some people online were very upset and you were kind of, you weren't, you weren't exactly playing with them, but you were like, why are you so upset? Um, I suppose I'd had time to get over yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, the only real annoyance is that we don't get to play with the new railways come December and I then had to find something else to do in December. That's fine. It'll just be next year instead. The, 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 the only valid cause slash case is if you'd made a life decision or life choice based upon the fact that you were told that this railway was going to open in December because it's going to be fully accessible so if you have an accessible need and you're like right well I can start that job in Woolwich and commute from you know where it is you come in from on a track or if maybe if you've moved you change jobs whether you have an accessible need or not but the accessibility is a big thing because they're all going to be step free stations but maybe you're like oh i'll go and take that i'll move to woolwich i'll buy that new flat and i can, can commute to my job in canary wharf in 20 minutes and yet you can't from december because 
the railway isn't coming when everybody says it was. So, but unless you'd set up a life, a major life decision based upon that, does it really matter? It's just annoying that it's a bit late. And people that have made a life decision probably count for less than 10% they're going to use it. The other 10% are nerds like us that are like, oh, we heard it was opening. The majority of people, like 80%, are probably like vaguely aware that this new railway is coming and the fact that it's coming late. They're just like, oh, is it? Right, really? What If it's not, in pl- if it's not running by, by the summer, by next year, then there'll be a whole bunch of central line commuters that are like, ah, oh, but we thought we could switch to the to the Elizabeth line cross rail instead. We'd be a lot less hot. And now, this summer. and now they can't. Yeah, will we have to go through another summer of misery yeah. on on the central line? Of course, with the way that climate change is going in our country, probably like next summer it'll be twenty degrees and raining the whole summer. We'll have like a rainy June. Yeah, or well, maybe, maybe just a year of summer because I mean it's currently October, and the other day it was twenty four degrees. Well, you know my theory on this, don't you? When I when I when I was a lad, when I was growing up. Um, Winter traditionally was like December through February, right? Those mm-hmm. were your three winter months. Uh, March, April, May were then your spring months. June, July, August were your summer months. And September, October, November were, were your autumnal months. To me, it's now shifted all on by a month or two. Winter seems to last into March. Summer right now seems that we're having this 20 degrees that we're recording this in October. It seems that all the seasons have moved on. And, you know, and, de- and winter doesn't really start until December you know, autumn now goes into November, so it's all it's all gone on a, a bit. So it'll still be cold in March, and then spring doesn't start until May, and then summer kicks in in July. We've somehow we've got into seasons, yes. Harry. I don't, we're, we're I don't, go, I don't know how. Back, we're going know how. back to trains. Oh, yeah. I want to follow up on you talked about going to the open days, and when you were there, the ones that you were able to attend, did something click at that stage where you're like, this isn't going to be ready by December. Or did how many stations did you go to? So I went to Canary Wharf. That's Canary Wharf is very much finished, way ahead of schedule, completed, oh, done, okay. tick. When we saw Tottenham Court Road, I remember thinking, "Oh, Tottenham Court Road, that's that's extremely advanced, done, tick, finished." But when I went to Whitechapel, I remember thinking, "Oh, there's there's no gate line, or just oh, there's no oh that corridor down to that that's not finished." And they just, I remember leaving Whitechapel thinking. Yeah, that's that's a bit. They've, they're gonna have to think what written, and that was like probably another you know a little warning light flashing in the back of my head. Uh, Whitechapel's unfinished state, and I can only assume that other places they didn't let us into, like say Paddington and Liverpool Street, uh, are not finished either. Another clue was at Liverpool Street. I'll tell you a fascinating fact here. Um, because two of the stations, one is uh, Farringdon Barbican and another one is Moorgate Liverpool Street. Technically, it's Liverpool Street Crossrail Station. But really, they're going to direct people in and out of Moorgate. All the signage will be leaning towards trying to get people to go to Moorgate. The connection with the underground for Liverpool Street will be at Moorgate, as in the northern line is having new tunnels built from Moorgate to the Crossrail Station, not at, not at the Liverpool Street end. So you'll get out of the purple train at Liverpool Street and then find yourself in Moorgate, which is going to confuse some people. But at Liverpool Street itself, if you think of the main National Rail concourse and you go down some steps by the travel centre and the fruit and veg stand, you go through the barriers, sort of in front of you to your left is the subsurface lines, but you go to the right to get to the top of the escalators for the central line to go down. It's at that point there that they're going to bust a hole in the wall and there'll be then escalators and a passageway, two sets of escalators, down to Crossrail. And I was surprised quite recently that there were no telltale blue hoardings up to indicate work was going on behind that wall. At some point, there will be a passageway through that wall, 
and there was no indication that it that it happened. And I'm like, really? It's like with just a few months to go, surely there'd be at least a blue hoarding up there, and there was there was nothing. So I'm wondering about about how complete that corridor passageway is. So there were lots of clues. So when I got the official unofficial word from multiple contacts, I was like, yep, yep, this this doesn't surprise me. Um, when you got that unofficial <laughs> word, I remember you, you talked to us about it and you said, I think it's going to be six months. I think it's going to be six months. That was what you were hearing. Yeah. Um, but then it's not six months. They yeah. said autumn 2019. Well. Which which is at least nine months, but yeah. it's kind of a year, isn't it? Because well, they, they can launch kind of... they can launch in nearly December and say well well, Harry did you see what I did a minute ago talking about the weather and the seasons I brought on the autumnal thing How, when do you define autumn yeah that's it if autumn is now some, so multiple theories on this autumn could be December they've given themselves a load of slack and they very deliberately haven't said an actual precise date so there's so many theories on this so someone is like someone I know is like I'm, they'll, they'll just open it in one go in December Someone else I'm chatting to is like, they'll do like a ghost service. They'll open it, you know, on a Sunday and just run a few bits. Someone else is still convinced that they'll open up with three stations only and then slowly introduce them all. I think think the most likely thing is that they'll want to open up all 10 stations in the core at once at the same time and not introduce it piecemeal stations at a time. So it's when that happens and there's speculation that if it does all now go to the new current schedule plan, it will be finished by April. They'll then have May, June, July to test it. Now, whether that means a one-a-day service or inviting in selected people to test it or just inviting in employees or press only to test it, testing will then happen uh, May, June, July, and then you're looking at an August opening, at which point they can go, hey, we had it open in August. That's not autumn. We were ahead of our revised schedule. Aren't we great? We beat our revised timeline try and score some points back making it look as if you know it, it worked or it might just be horrendously delayed until december <laughs> these are all possible situations are all possible. I, multiple I think, to know. place your bets now the one thing i do want i think should be ruled out is that suggestion of a friend of yours that they're going to open with three stations oh, is well that- well that that was the other thing that was rumored so the rumor going round was that tfl went to crossrail and went oh, flip a net crossrail you could have told us earlier that it's going to be delayed. And Crosswell went, yeah, sorry about that. Tell you what, though, we think three of the stations are ready. Oh, TFL went, oh, really? Which three stations? Crosswell told them which three stations. There was a rumour that a skeleton service with three stations could could have been ready for December. And then somebody in TFL went, quite correctly, I think, went, no, it, it's an all or nothing situation. So they want to open up all 10 in one go, which does make sense. So I was at a Crosswell policy forum. What? I know. You didn't invite me. <laughs> I only got the invite very last minute. Harry's but, rubbish. But that this, was, this that was very much the party line that they're going for on this delay that every single speaker hit was, it's very sad that Crossrail's delayed, but we want to launch with a good service. We don't want to have a bad launch. That's kind of the line they're trying to hit now. So I'd, even if it was once a possibility that they were going to launch with three, serv- uh, three stations, I don't think that's going to happen anymore. So, listeners will remember when the Jubilee Line extension opened in 99, so that was uh, Green Park, Westminster through North Greenwich to Stratford. That opened up in stages. Um, when the Jubilee Line extension opened, the first bit that ran was the Stratford to North Greenwich down through Custom House only. That ran for about a month. And then the bit, the rest of it between North Greenwich through Westminster opened up in 
stages. And it was either Southwark or Bermondsey, or maybe Westminster itself. Trains were running through for about a week or two without stopping. And it was, only like it, was the week, it was only the week before Christmas that Westminster was the final last station to open on the Jubilee Line extension. It didn't open when the rest of the line did. So there is, there is a precedent for that. Also, what's really interesting, something that not a lot of people have talked about, some people have, I'm not claiming this to be an exclusive, but there was a time pre-TFL, so definitely a London Transport, London Underground thing, where a proposed line or extension used to appear as a dotted line on the tube map. And it was like coming soon. The Jubilee Line extension appeared on the tube map back in the late 90s as a kind of, a, this is being built. Note that, and it's very obviously a TFL policy decision not to do that with the modern day tube map. It's like they only show you what you need to know. And so I find it fascinating that there'd been no tube map with a dotted line on it showing where the service will be, which, which I would love to see. But can you imagine? But mm. they've been proven right. Because if they put opening December 2018 then, and then it's not, then it's like... Which yeah. they did put on all those oyster wallets, which apparently they spent yeah. a lot of money on. All the oil- you, didn't, you didn't take them from the office because we have one for each station and we're not actually sure where they've gone. There, there was a. I was here on one. There was a bit of a free for all, and and someone was like, Laura, Laura was going. I want the Bond Street one. I want the Matt. Matt took one. I might have taken. An Laura has one. no memory of this because we just spent. Like, we all sat there one day about a month ago, going, "Who wants what?" And uh, there were, like people were like, "We spent five minutes looking for them this morning." I th- I think multiple hands make <laughs> made light work. You've got some left, right, but not a complete set. Oh, we don't know where they are. Well, I'm sure we do have some. Well, all of them or some of them? We don't know where all of them are. We'll have a look. Have you got any of them? This is no. riveting podcast information. <laughs> Listen, what happened is that the Crossrail Press Office sent out a complete set of ten oyster wallets. No, to nine. Ten. They didn't send us ten. Oh, dude. I, t- I took a photo. Oh, dude. Oh, you're so missing one. Um, <laughs> no, but I think they didn't got com- send us Abbey Wood. I th- no, you don't no, have I an think ad- they send us send us Abbey Wood. Paddington? There's ten. No, they send us. Would you like to do that? I feel you like, like a custom house because it's not what? Is it, isn't it technically like a rebuild or something? No, the Abbey Abbey Wood's the rebuild. Dude, Abbey Wood's the rebuild, right? And it's the one that gets forgotten out of the ten. The other nine are solid okay. core Here's, nailed on. Oh no, it's Abbey Wood. Yeah, it's Abbey Wood. Yeah, they didn't send us Abbey Wood. Really? Yeah, they sent us the- I have an Abbey Wood. That's a collector. Well, I mean, they're all collector pieces now. But. Well, if I'm poor in my you know old retirement age and yeah. eBay is, or whatever it is is still a thing, then uh, I'm cashing in. So Rightly I'm, so. I'm saving those, saving those bad boys. But also all the the hoardings around. You, like you go to Farringdon and it's like opening December 2018, and uh, I haven't been back to Farringdon recently to see if they've covered that up. It's still up at Moorgate, I That's believe. That's funny. Um, it's, a, it's someone's job at some point to go along and cover that up with a, with, a, with a big vinyl sticker going opening autumn 2019 asterisk small type down below asterisk could be December we're not sure yet <laughs> what is the reason for the delay what is the main reason um, we there's uh, well the construction hasn't been perfect there was um, an incident with an electrical generator out east that, that was near Abbey Wood, wasn't it? Uh, I forget the exact location. But there's certainly been... Um, but it was an explosion that's not... Right? Yeah. Yeah. That, it's been, it was kind of kept very hush-hush. Yeah, it yeah, was... yeah. There's certainly um, some technical issues involving signalling out on the western branch um, to, yeah. from Hayes down to Heathrow. The way that that works is that there's three types of signalling that are out there. But I thought that that was separate because they were just going to run the non 
purple trains to Heathrow mm. for a while and not worry about that. It just, it just, there's going to be a phase where there, there needs to be like a commissioning and testing phase where things are just tested and it's just not, not, not ready to 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 have that phase yet. Um, like members of the public had signed up, you know, to come and like test out stations, but they were going to like flood the stations with you know a thousand people and just make sure that it all worked with lifts and escalators and stuff. And they're just not ready to do that. I think there's lots of things that aren't ready. And like stations like Whitechapel are not ready. That is behind and is not finished. Mm-hmm. So rather than rush it, they're just gonna make sure that everything is is perfect. But think about think about it. Like it'll be collecting layers of dust, you know. For like for a year, in effect, Canary Wharf station is will be technically mothballed, you know, until it's ready to ready, That is very to weird. Go. But wait, but that's happened before with Stratford International Course out, out of yeah. Stratford, where that was just sat there waiting to be used. We're going to take a quick pause just there. Before we get back to chatting, I just want to let you know about our sponsors, Audible. We've partnered with them to offer you three months half-price membership. You'll be able to choose one audiobook each month from their extensive selection. Here are a couple we'd like to recommend for all the London obsessors out there. First up is Londoners by Craig Taylor. It's the story of the city by the people who love it, hate it, live it, left it, and long for it. Taylor interviews a myriad of people to paint a vivid picture of the city. Perhaps you're more of a fiction reader, in which case you can't go wrong with the classics of Virginia Woolf. Being a member of the Bloomsbury Group, London regularly features throughout her novels, although Bloomsbury itself, less so. Whatever book you choose, it's yours to keep for life, regardless of whether you cancel. If you're not happy with a book, you can exchange it for another one. No questions asked. Sign up at audible.co.uk forward slash Londonist. Now it's time to talk to Laura about the one area of London that beat the delays, Stratford. It also happens to be on Crossworld, a happy coincidence for our podcast. And don't worry, we'll get back to Jeff soon. Uh, Now we're chatting with contributing editor Laura Reynolds. Hi, Laura. Hello. Yeah, and we're going to discuss Stratford because we were thinking this whole episode is themed around delays. What's the one part of London that was just definitely not delayed? And that's Stratford and the Olympic Park. I mean, it would have been a pretty big mess if that had been delayed, if, you know, the eyes of the world and, you know, the sports people, politicians of the world descended on London and it wasn't ready. That would have been pretty disastrous. I mean, what physically would have happened? I wonder if there were contingency plans in place. You feel like there must have been some sort of idea of what to do if it all all goes that horribly wrong. I don't know. Um, Wembley may have seen a bit of use, I guess. I don't really know. Very true. Right. We're going to start with what is there to do in Stratford. Uh, If you just pop down there for a day on a new train as Jeff thankfully reminded us so the first thing to do is make sure you (laughs) at Liverpool Street wait don't get on an old train wait for one of the class three four five hashtag purple train hashtag purple train as Jeff likes to call it Uh, but once you're there you step out of the station what do you do I think it depends firstly which way you're going to turn out of the station Um, you can go one way and you've got like you said the shiny new Olympic Park um, or you can turn the other way sort of to older Stratford, the old town um, and everything around there. Yeah, um, I went down Stratford last weekend and it's very interesting. The Stratford Shoal is its official name. 
if you leave the station via See, I didn't your... know it was called that until you told me the other day. I, I did know not, what you mean. I did not know that until I Googled it. <laughs> um, I said, what is this thing's actual name? I just recognised it. To me, it looked like trees. Uh, I guess a shoal. Is that not something yeah. to do with... Yeah, if you don't know what we're talking about, it's the sort of public artwork. And I used to do a show, it is like fish on sticks, yeah. isn't it? Green fish? They're sort of yeah. green tinges, aren't they? Greeny blue turquoisey mm. fish on sticks. Big ones. Um, Metal ones. Yeah. <laughs> if you come out, the, the exit is signed as town centre. The other exit is Westfield. Mm. Those are your choices. Um, and if you head through the shoal, you get to the old side of Stratford. So that's where the Stratford centre is. Um, and I think one of the things that one of the places Laura and I have been together up on top <laughs> the Stratford Centre the old shopping centre is Roof East Laura do you want to explain what Roof East is? Um, again I've forgotten that we'd been there together until Harry had just told me this but Roof East <laughs> is a um, rooftop sort of bar um, events venue they sort of rotate what they've got going on there every season so sometimes there's um, well, the event we were talking about, there was a roller disco there one year, which Harry and I took a turn on, and it was all going very well until I turned around and watched Harry absolutely sack it on the on the roof of a uh, car park, of a shopping centre. So, yeah, um, a magical moment, for it sure. It was, yeah, so that was quite a memorable one. But yeah, they have all sorts going on. They For winter, they're doing curling this year, I think. Um, very much a sort of office party kind of place, or in summer sort of a night out with your mates kind of place um different street food going on there and backyard cinema i think they they have they sometimes have a screen up there showing showing films yeah and there was a batting cage when they went in the summer baseball is really hard if you've never played baseball there was bowls as well wasn't there yeah they they were called della bowls the year we went punning yeah so that was that was pretty great so that's one obvious place but moving past roof east i spent this past weekend in a pub called secret weapon uh, sister to loading bar in dalston which might be a bit better known but it's really amazing i really if you enjoy video games or any sort of gaming board games i really recommend checking it out uh lots of screens huge collection of games you just head there as you, you buy a drink and then everything else is free um or included bit of a beer garden there as well wasn't there yes a lovely beer garden and nice and painted it kind of it takes its video game uh theme to heart and it's not ashamed of what it is i mean it's called secret weapon uh but it's not very secretive (laughs) Uh, apart from that it it starts to get a little harder looking for cultural things uh in the old part of stratford there is discover children's story center um which I've personally never been to, but um, I think they do have some quite good events there, especially if parents are looking for things to do in half-term, school holidays, um, all themed around sort of books and literature, kids' books, um, things like that. Yeah, and it's uh, a play centre as well. I also, not being a child, or not having a child, (laughs) have not been there. Uh, But it looks lovely, an amazing play centre, a great local amenity. Beyond that, there are a lot, a lot, a lot of shisha bars. Which again, area. I didn't know this until Harry just told me, but um, yeah, apparently that's a thing in Stratford. Yeah, it, it is. If, if you really like shisha, I mean, that's one of the places to go. And also there's the Picture House, which on top of being a cinema, 
hosts a lot of comedy events and and other sort of events the way picture house cinemas do which are great just a quality local event space good to know about moving on there is the other side of stratford the olympic park very new very shiny isn't it over there still feels even though what are we six years on it still feels very new and perhaps not quite fully developed yet yeah it it is officially unfinished even though it's open there are still cranes in the sky everywhere offices accommodation uh it's all still going up but the bits that are finished the most obvious are the big statements the old venues from the olympics most noticeably the velodrome the aquatic center london stadium uh and the copper box and the velodrome and the aquatic center are open to the public the aquatic center very easily i think you just pay a small fee just a local swimming pool isn't it now yeah um an impressive one i don't need to you know <laughs> talk it down but yeah anyone can go in and use it just like you would any other local pool i believe yeah and the velodrome you can sign up for taster sessions if it's always been your dream i think cycle. they do like kids courses in half term yeah. as well and, and i think round the back they've also got a more kind of bmx style track if you if velodrome is like too tame for you <laughs> <laughs> If you want to really give it your all. Um, well, given your experience with roller discos, maybe give that one a bit, Harry. <laughs> I will conquer it. Do not fear. <laughs> I've never worn roller skates before. It wasn't my fault. <laughs> excuses, excuses. Yes. Um, but beyond that, there's East Village, which is another old, but in part of the Olympic legacy, it was where the athlete's village was. Now it's all uh, residential accommodation, but the ground floor of a lot of these blocks have become commercial properties. So there's lots of restaurants, bars, cafes, bakeries. I think they have a local market there or a farmer's market as well, don't they, some weekends? Yeah, I I think that's right. It's all quite in the farmer's market vibe, (laughs) these commercial... I don't don't want to downplay them or, or knock them. I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but... They feel very low, they're trying to be very local, don't they? Yes, local yeah. Local shops. Um, and, th- and that's very pleasant if that's what you're into. Also, a big part of the Olympic Park is it's a park. It's super green. It is, but at the moment I think a lot of the trees, they're still quite young trees. So again, you can tell it's still um, sort of in its youth, not fully developed yet. Give it a few years and the trees might be a bit bigger, a bit greener, but it still feels very almost sterile at the moment. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, especially as there's loads of these huge roads sometimes in parts of the park, and then there's a bit of space, especially around the aquatic centre, and, like, and it's almost like, oh no, we can't just have empty space, that's what Stratford used to be, let's plant a couple trees. Fill it with something, anything, just yeah. fill it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's just, oh no, what do we do, trees? Grass. Walking route. <laughs> what do we do, yeah it, yeah, it just feels still a bit fake. And with time, that might change. And I think the problem there was that, especially that road you're referring to, the one where you walk over from Westfield, the London Stadium's in front of you, and the aquatic centre's on the left, it was designed to carry thousands and thousands of pedestrians every day from the station into the Olympic venue. So it is a massive wide road. I mean, road, pedestrian, footpath, what you want to call it, but it's massive. And now that we haven't got those thousands and thousands of people heading there every day, it does look, like you say, a bit too big. 
Yes, I, I definitely agree. Um, and this is the point we want to move on to, is whether Stratford is divided in two. I mean, you might have noticed we split that section up <laughs> into two. Uh, but is it one area, cohesively? I think even when you arrive at the station and you're sort of signposted to two major exits, that, initial, that straight away, you either go to Westfield and the shiny new bit, or you go towards the old town, um, Stratford Centre. So I think as soon as you arrive in Stratford, you're, it is split into two. And the railway track straight down the middle doesn't help things. You've got, obviously, again, the new bit on one side of the railway track, and the older town is on the other side of the railway track. So that probably doesn't help with sort of blending the two. Yeah, and if you exit via the town centre, um, station exit, and you see the Stratford Shoal, that was specifically designed to hide the Stratford Centre, the old shopping centre. This is another old new dichotomy. There's the shiny new Westfield and less shiny Stratford Centre. Which, In fairness to the Stratford Centre, it's to hide the back of the Stratford Centre. It seems like the front to us because of where the station ended up. But for years, that was the back. So it was a very modern planning problem. And at the back of a lot of buildings, even if they're new, isn't particularly pretty. So they wanted something to cover it up, uh, hence the shoal. But Stratford Centre itself is pretty busy. I mean, it still feels very used. You've got roof east up top, but the shops and the place is buzzing. It stays open at night, I think, and lots of skaters um, use, use it kind of as a little mini playground of their own. And I think during the day, the Stratford Centre is more like the local shopping centre, whereas Westfield's where tourists or people from other part of London or further afield go for a day out shopping, whereas I think the Stratford Centre is more sort of locals just popping in to get whatever they need. Um, yeah. Westfield feels a lot cleaner and brighter, um, and the shops, they're not, I mean, Westfield isn't, it's not particularly upmarket, I think the, it's got both ends of the spectrum. Yeah. You've got, you know, your Primark and H&M or whatever else, but you have got the more upmarket shops as well. Yeah, which you wouldn't probably get in Stratford Centre. And Stratford Centre has a Poundland, and nothing against Poundland, but you wouldn't see it in Westfield. That's very true. I mean, I think increasingly you're seeing more of the sort of shiny glass and metal skyscrapers over in what we're, what we're referring to here as the old town, sort of the older part of Stratford. It is getting more and more. Every time I go past, there seems to be another very modern looking new skyscraper in the sort of on the horizon over there so development is happening on the old town as well it's not like that's just been forgotten and everything's focusing on the olympic park it's incredible how many cranes there are in stratford <laughs> i i feel like it must i mean obviously central and the city and canary wharf always have a lot but mm. it, it might have more still it's always just immense to me there's one building that makes me laugh every time i go past it it's um, I don't know what it's called or whereabouts it is, but I know it's near um, Stratford Centre and Roof East, and it's a skyscraper of quite a few floors. And then it looks like someone stopped building it. I know the one. <laughs> and then stopped to think about it and went, Do you know what? Actually, I'm going to stick five more floors on here because there's like five extra floors that don't really blend in with the rest. It's really bizarre. Yeah, there, there's a lot of kind of creative design going <laughs> That's on. That's one way to put it. Yeah. yeah, there's not, it's not all just straight up blocks no, in no. Stratford, which, you know, Gives it some character, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, yeah there, there's some interesting buildings to look at. But yeah, that one just gets me every time. <laughs> but this is all very different to how Stratford used to be 15 years ago. I mean, famously, some of the Olympic sites, uh, I think the Aquatic Centre 
used to be uh, there used to be a pile of fridges there. See, I'll admit, I never don't think I ever went to Stratford until Westfield opened, which I think it opened a couple of years before the Olympics, didn't it? Or yeah, just before, a year before. Yeah. Um, and I don't think I'd been to Stratford before then, so I I don't have the before to compare it to so much. And I imagine a lot of people are the same. Where would you have gone to Stratford? One difference you notice, though, between the old and new, uh, at least in our distinctions, is that the old is pretty busy and still pretty buzzing. I mean, Stratford Centre's busy and the surrounding areas, there's a lot of people about, or at least it doesn't feel empty. Whereas once you go past Westfield, Westfield itself is packed and it's back up to its Olympic numbers. The Olympic Park just feels empty. Feels like a ghost town, doesn't it? It doesn't feel yeah. lived in. It feels like a model town or a ghost town or something like that at the moment, I think. Yeah, um, and we're wondering, I mean, there are more buildings going up, so the V&A are going to move in, Sadler's Wells, London College of Fashion, and more. So there will physically be more people transplanted there. Yeah, people working there and I guess people going to visit these institutions as well. Yeah, but will that make it feel lived in can you just artificially create that sense it's hard to picture something like the vna which at the, at the moment is it's you know main building still the one in south kensington beautiful old building very traditional it's hard to imagine some an institution like that being put in somewhere as new and modern as the olympic park yeah it's quite a juxtaposition it'd be interesting to see how it works out with so much of stratford it's such a let's wait and see place especially and crossrail's coming um mm-hmm. bringing more people eventually it's coming eventually yeah we'll see Hold when. A while, Stratford. um the next couple of years are going to be so fascinating mm. as an area will it will it get busier uh what's it how's it going to handle the new people the new all the new skyscrapers i mean i'm just curious myself i think that'll be interesting about all the um all the stops on crossrail though um, you know, what effect will it have on Bond Street? Will Oxford Street be busier because it'll be easier to get to? You haven't got to rely on the central line. You can just hop on one of the shiny new hashtag purple trains <laughs> to get there. Or will Oxford Street get so busy that more people will be heading out to Stratford to do their shopping? Um, it'll be interesting to see. I don't think anyone knows how it's going to pan out. Thank you very much, Laura, for joining me. Thank you for having me and reliving your uh, roller disco trauma. Oh, always a special moment. And hopefully, we'll have you back soon. Lovely. Time for a quick bit of trivia. Of the eight tunnel boring machines used in the construction of Crossrail, two were named after athletes with happy memories in Stratford. One won Olympic gold and the other won Paralympic gold at London 2012. Who are they? Answer is over on our website on this episode's page. Now let's hear back from Jeff. Let's talk trains. Will this delay to Crossrail yeah. have a knock-on effect in delaying the other phases of Crossrail because I think in December 2019 that was when the full service was all meant to connect up and launch. I genuinely don't know. That is a great question and it's the one where I talk to my sort of informant slash sources slash contacts and I get a really varied and sort of unknown feedback because they're just now concentrating on getting the, the core 10 working and... I mean, it will give 
the more time to finish it because presumably if they push this back then they'll push the rest of it back but does that mean that Reading now won't open until December 2020 rather than December 2019? Great question. Don't know. It will. It will come to light. The the up the more urgent pressing issue that it has. I said earlier that the only real effect it has, but that was in terms of passengers, is if you made a life choice based upon it. But what about things like TfL's budget? So um, you've predicted my next question. Gosh, <laughs> go on. Yes. Oh, no, that's just it. financially. How much of an issue? Is the delay for TfL? Well, I tell you what, there were people in Palestra, Blackfriars. Um, there's a whole department of men that do bus scheduling. Sorry, men and women. Uh, but probably a lot of men that have worked there for like 50 years that know London's bus routes are like the back of their hands and have worked very hard for long hours working out a whole lot of bus changes to save money and routes are going to be curtailed and chopped and stuff. And part of that was based upon the fact that, that they were told that Crossrail was coming in December 2018. And so now suddenly it's like... Right, you know there's changes we're making to bus routes. <laughs> They've all now all been put back, and it's caused like a whole bunch of like heavy breathing and sighing, and that then has implications with revenue and income. But it's not as if a whole new people of a whole bunch of new people were going to suddenly start using a railway which wasn't there. But certainly it would switch. It just it just means that there's a disruptive flow in the predictability to where passengers are, go- are going to be and using what mode of transport. And presumably, um, uh, if someone, say, is making a bus journey and they're using the hopper and it's only cost them pound fifty, and they were prepared to then use this all-new shiny purple train but that goes into zone one, cost them £2.70, then does that mean, you know, that there's pound twenty there that, that TfL were relying upon that isn't going to happen? Again, there's a whole department where they project passenger flow and numbers of movements and stuff, and so it's probably got some of the financial people a little bit, uh, a little bit worried. But that's so hard to predict. Yeah, it's it, it's had a knock-on effect, but precisely what is probably really hard to say, and you'll get a different answer depending on on on, on who you ask. Yeah. yeah, good question. Good question. A- another big infrastructure project happening in London right now is the new Tottenham Stadium. Yeah. Jeff and I are both Spurs fans. Yes. Um, although, by saying that, we might alienate half the listeners. Sorry, Gunas. Um, but they've taken a very different approach with their <laughs> delay. Well, of- but you, you've hit the... The, the, um, the rumour was... <laughs> you know, you're not going to say, right? They were running behind and they were like, oh, we need more contractors. We literally need, you know, workers to come and like bang in a few nails and screw in a few bolts. And so the rumour was that they poached a whole bunch of crossroad workers by offering them more money. (laughs) But but I I don't know how true that is. But you can well imagine that there is definite elements of truth in that. Is is crossroad really delayed because Tottenham paid more? (laughs) Well, what I was going for was that Spurs are saying, oh, the stadium will be done in a couple of weeks and then pushing it back constantly, whereas Crossrail have gone for yeah. a long yeah. deadline. The long game. Um, way in the future. And I don't I, know. And I don't know what the, I don't know what the answer yeah. is. Yeah. But I, you, it's what, one to speculate on, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Final question. Final question, everyone. Is there any chance that this next deadline could be missed? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's very confident of yeah, you. Yeah, I just, from all, all the noises that I hear, it would, it would be so much egg on face if it was missed. Something would have to go very terribly, catastrophically wrong 
And now that one deadline's been missed, you can bet your bottom dollar that, you know, senior management have gone in and they're like, right, we now cannot miss this next deadline. And there have been a lot of meetings and a lot of discussions and people probably saying, what do you need? What do we need to be certain that we're doing to make sure that the new deadline is met? And as ambiguous as it is with autumn, it will be met. So I am very confident that we will be riding the purple train. Purple train, purple train. I only want to see you riding on that purple train by the end of 2019. Cool. Well, there's our jingle for the episode. <laughs> rabbit and pork. Purple pork. <laughs> rabbit and pork. Yeah, just have rabbit and pork to the sound of Prince Purple Train. I, I am going to record a parody song uh, called Purple Train. Maybe complete with video. Oh, what I'm very excited about that. Uh-huh. I'll let you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well... We want to say that. Jeff, oh yeah, <laughs> Jeff has plug time. Plug time. Jeff has not one, a, but two books out at the moment. I've been I've been busy, man. Yeah. So, do you want to explain what the books are? I do. So, based upon the phenomenal success of uh, Secrets of the Underground, the YouTube phenomenal series, which uh, still to this day gets many a clicks and hits, I wrote a little self-penned book, cunningly not entitled Secrets of the Underground, but uh, Tube Station Trivia. Uh, it's six pounds. It's available from Capital Publishing, Capital Transport Publishing, and the London Transport Museum, and on Amazon. Uh, you can buy it for all your tube uh, geekery nerds. A perfect stocking filler. And then myself and my partner Vicky, of course, travelled to every single railway station, two five six three stations in Great Britain last year as part of the All the Station series. And this week, the week that we're recording this podcast in October, our book, The Railway Adventures, is out, and that's a kind of a more hardback coffee table book 50,000 words loads of pictures loads of musings sort of fact boxes lists and things travel tips ideas places inspirational stories and a general review of what the heck we did last year you can buy that the railway adventures in all good bookshops as well including waterstones piccadilly who sold out already because everyone went down there and bought it so they're having to restock in a hurry so that was you harry you bought our book didn't you you were you were in the queue no but yeah. can i tell you a good all the stations anecdote. related yeah, anecdote. yeah 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 oh no uh, i don't know harry hasn't warned me what this is so you said there are what 2563 stations and there's now 2566 there are three new stations have opened up since um so at a couple months after you finished Uh-oh. all the stations i was at a pub quiz and they did <laughs> they did one of those like kind and you of you were like i know i know this i know because of jeff god what did you win it was one of those bonus rounds in between the rounds so I, I got a round of shots um for guessing the closest i was actually 10 off i somehow got it i i it so the confused. question was how many stations are there in britain yeah and you were like because <gasps> yeah. of jeff and all the other teams were like a hundred off or wow like, i think one was they maybe a couple were over a thousand off and yeah I, and the uh aunt uh the host was just shocked when she read out our answer they like they were 10 off were yeah. they like how did you know and you're like well actually i know this guy called you yeah, i did i did <laughs> so there we go so i don't have a book but i got i think it was sambuca no it was nicer than sambuca it brilliant. was it was a good shot brilliant Oh, um, what a what a mate! Have a have a have a smug point. Yeah, thanks. I will. Okay. Well, Harry, next, it's it's been a joy. It's a been a pleasure having you here 
for our debut episode. Yeah, we've recorded seven hours of this. Uh, so when it's edited down to twenty minutes, think of all the, the gems that Harry has cut out of the of the, the of the of the of the, uh, the episode. <laughs> They're not gems. Think about how unkempt I look now. Yeah, and then think about me after seven hours of editing. Yeah, in yeah. a dark room. Dark room. Yeah. In, in the London's basement. On your free Audacity software. Oh, no, you're using no, GarageBand. Get, yeah, exactly. Come on. Good, good man, good man. Right, uh, thank you, sir. It's been a pleasure. Rabbit and pork. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to our debut episode. If you head over to the website and go to the article for this episode, there are plenty of goodies to dig into. That includes links to multiple articles that go into more depth on subjects discussed here and the answer to the trivia question we asked earlier. We'll be back next month when it'll be time to look down. Also, seeing as this is our first episode, we'd love to hear any feedback you might have. Just send it over to hello at londonist.com. Rabbit and Pork was produced and hosted by me, Harry Rosehill. Thanks to Jeff Marshall and Laura Reynolds for their interviews and the entire team at Londonist for all their help.